Hello and welcome to the Cloisterbell podcast presented by Rob and Liam. Today we will be discussing 2010's The Vampires of Venice. The TARDIS Cloisterbell. Imminent disaster. The Cloisterbell? Yes. What's that? Well, it's a sort of communications device reserved for wild catastrophes and sudden calls to man the battle stations. That's the cloister bell. Don't worry about that for now. It's not really terribly significant. The cloister bell? Oh, no. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. I'm Liam, and as always, I'm joined by Rob. Hi, Rob. Hello, everyone. How's it going? Not bad. It's been a nice sunny day. Um, finally got a haircut. Wow, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> it was really long. It's good. Feels too short now, but I'm happy with it. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's good. Good, good. In fact, uh, I think I'm due a haircut. Um, might get one uh, next couple of days. Yeah, uh, it's been nice um, booking an appointment because usually if you go to a, a barber, you just walk in, mm-hmm. and it's kind of potluck. You might get seen. You might wait a long time, especially the one I go to, because I think they specialise in beards. <laughs> All right, okay. So, um, usually I'd go, and I might have an hour wait, because there'll be half a dozen bearded men, you know, before me. You know, <laughs> I'll need, like, a ten-minute haircut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but now I get to book an appointment, because it's appointment only. So, in and out, it's quite good. <laughs> All right, good, good. Well, uh, I have the absolute excitement of going to the opticians next week. Nice. Yes. Um, uh, I was trying to uh, get an appointment with my regular opticians, but for some reason they were only doing um, appointments two days a week. Uh, I managed to get one booked in the 29th of April. um, And the, the test, and this is just their basic one, was £50. Wow, that's just insane! So uh, I then went with uh, I then went to see if I could book with another opticians, and they're just like, "Yeah, come whenever." So uh, <laughs> so I'll probably uh, probably book the one that's on the 29th of April and and just get that. Plus, it will be an awful lot cheaper. Yeah. Um, so exciting times, people! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the opticians. Wow, uh, and the hairdressers and yeah. the hairdressers. So, uh, have you been up to? <laughs> I feel silly asking. Yes. Have you been up to anything else? Um, I haven't been watching much else. My wife has started Grey's Anatomy, so I've been what kind of jumping in watching a few of them. So I've been watching maybe half of those. Mm-hmm. Um, but the whole thing, I get the impression it's like nineteen seasons and still going. <laughs> so right. she's been watching that for over a week, and she's only on season six. Um, so it's taken a while to get through that mm-hmm. but it's one of those things I've, I was reluctant to watch and find myself watching alright <laughs> oh, so, so, oh, okay, so, yeah, so are you enjoying it yeah um, and I've also watched Vampires sorry The Vampires of Venice yes I keep on forgetting Nelly said yeah, Vampires yeah. in Venice should be just Vampires of Venice but yeah <laughs> The Vampires of Venice yes um, yeah, obviously I've watched that as well, and um, I've started watching uh, the Trial of a Time Lord. 
Um, okay. I've wanted to, so I've been watching it. Um, so I've watched it with the production subtitles, not the whole thing. Uh, I've watched the mysterious planet section and the mind warp section with um, the commentary and the production subtitles. So I'm just going through some of the special features. Was there um, was there much new to learn there? Uh, a few bits and pieces in terms of uh, the production side of things, and actually, it's quite especially with Mind Warp. It was quite nice to hear Colin Baker, Nicola Bryant, and Philip Martin uh, discuss the story, and they clearly uh, enjoy it an awful lot. And th- there's another special feature on the di- it was on the DVD as well, but uh, I've seen it a few times, but I still quite like it. It's um, with uh, Brian Blessed, obviously talking briefly about his his role as King Yukarnos in the story but really it's about his love of the show and he talks about you know a little bit about his early acting career but his he clearly loves the show he knows what he's talking about he's pretty much watched it from from dot so he talks about each of the each of the doctors and his appreciation of them all and it's it's quite nice so i watched that as well that's really cool he's always good to listen to yeah uh back in oh when when was it it's back when we had a life I think it was 2019. Um, he was doing a, a, a bit of a yeah, book signing tour. So I went to um, the Tyneside Theatre, which for those in Newcastle is on Westgate Road. Um, uh, and he was there. So I've actually I've actually been in the same room as him. Um, and yeah, he's a very loud presence. But he, that was great because he was talking, I mean, you know, in the room with the legend, that's Brian Blessed. And he was talking about, you know, his his childhood his acting career, um, his mountaineering, everything. It was great. And and obviously just shouting, Gordon's alive! at um, at every given opportunity. Um, I love his commentary on Flash Gordon. It's just him. <laughs> oh, is it? Oh, I need to listen the, to that. The famous, the blessed commentary. <laughs> um, I know there was an issue, it was released on the DVD... Um, which I'd got the steelbook for, I think it was the 25th anniversary, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it was since released on Blu-ray, but the Brian Blessed's commentary was missing, was absent. So I don't know if they've um, restored that to the to the Blu-ray, but if if not, try and get the DVD. Yeah, no, um, right, okay. Well, whenever I do get... Because funny enough, I well, have I'll been... just wa- pass it on to you, if you ever want. <laughs> good to, yeah. But uh, good advice for uh, for the listeners as well. Um, one thing I do remember is that when... Because there were, there, were, there were a couple of people who arrived a, bit, a little bit late. I think they were about 10, 15 minutes late. And then he basically was shouting abuse at them. In, 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 you know, and all, all in good fun. And he was going, and you've even missed me say the famous line. Do you want to hear it? And it's like, yeah, yeah. And then he made the point of sort of basically whispering it at that point. Going, Gordon's alive. And oh, how we <laughs> laughed. It was it was a good evening. It was uh, it was great. So and I've also he um, he uh, published a book which is about his love of animals. Um, so I've got that book, and and it's signed by him. So Ooh, yeah, excellent. Yeah, uh, yeah. The man's a legend. He's great. I mean, because it's one of those things. Because obviously, he, he's a very good actor, and everyone just you know puts him down as you know being that loud, loud boisterous thing. And you know, he, he obviously relishes that, and he's great. I always remember him in the first series of, of Blackadder, which pre I think predates him doing Flash Gordon, and that's that um, typical 
loud, boisterous performance that we all know and love him for. Um, but if if anyone hasn't seen it, the the nineteen seventies BBC um, drama I Claudius, watch that. Well, one, it's a good series and it's a good story about the, the Roman Empire. But yeah, it's partially fictionalized and all the rest of it. But it's it's still good drama uh, based on. Um, uh, a couple of novels I've forgotten the author's name now but it's got a fantastic cast uh, of which he's obviously in it and it's and it's just a brilliant performance and it's actually him I'm not deriding his other performances because we all love them but this is him actually giving you know this is actually Brian Blizzard being a a proper in inverted commas actor you know it's it's more nuanced and everything so you're seeing another side of him uh, but yeah I recommend that <clears throat> I'll do a quick shout out. Last time on the podcast, we asked a few other podcasts how they would describe um, the new paradigm Daleks from Victory of the Daleks in one word. Mm-hmm. Um, and regrettably, we didn't read out two responses, I think. Um, the Married to Who podcast said, I hate to be basic, but I still think iPod. And that's kind of what you, you said the iDaleks, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the Tin Dog podcast said almost. Um, don't quite know what they mean. Like, it yeah, it almost works. Yeah, that's the only thing I can think of. Yeah, it, it almost works. Um, but that was it. <laughs> those two. <laughs> All right, okay. No, no, it's yeah. Don't want to miss those out. It's it's great to hear from. Yeah, and uh, I, yeah, it's like what I said on the podcast, and kind of see people uh, liking them to IP iPods and that, that sort of like the look that Apple did it, it does have that sort of thing um, but I said yeah they almost worked it's it's basically what we said during the podcast I wish they stuck with their convictions and because and, it was an interesting idea it's just a, it's a shame that they yeah. one off okay so we are recording this uh, podcast on the 16th of April and obviously we had decided uh, in advance that we were going to be recording the Vampires of Venice uh, recording our discussion on it. Um, some sad news has come today when we're recording it, which is that uh, Helen McCrory has sadly passed away. Um, a remarkable actress, uh, well known for appearing on the stage as well as television and films. She's had a very long career and very well respected and you know, it's, it's understandable. You know, uh, she's appeared in, yeah, and this is just some of the things that she's appeared in. It's, it, this is not a comprehensive list, but she's appeared in Peaky Blinders, Inside Number Nine. She appeared in the James Bond movie Skyfall. Um, she's the the MP who doesn't shut the hell up when uh, when M is uh, is appearing in front of uh, the MPs. Uh, oh, she okay. was in We'll Take Manhattan, uh, the movie which uh, which starred Karen Gillan. She was in several Harry Potter films. She was in the movie The Queen. She played Sherry Blair in that. She was in Charlotte Grey. She was in the TV series Anna Karenina, playing the title part. Uh, and uh, I'm she was s- in Harry Potter. Yeah, yeah, it does said yeah. She was in several Harry Potter films, mm-hmm. and um, I've included this as a bit of a joke because uh, if you go on the IMDb as well, it you know it, it provides the the full list of her um, TV and, and film appearances. And she was all, she was in the movie Interview with the Empire, where she played Second Hall. Um, sorry, just had a just 
you know, what a thing to be credited as. Mm. But uh, it's it's very sad that obviously she's passed away. She was born on the 17th of August, 1968, passed away today on, on the day we're recording, the 16th of April, 2021. And she was only 52. So obviously mm. th- thoughts go out to uh, thoughts and condolences to her family and friends. And if you go online, obviously there's, there are many, you know, personal condolences from, from people who actually knew her. Obviously very sad to hear that she's passed away. We'll obviously be mentioning her performance in The Vampire of Venice, but I think it's safe to say, um, I mean, I don't want to put words into your uh, mouth, Rob, but I think uh, I think we probably both agree she gives a fantastic performance in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's Helen McCrory, sadly passed away. Um. So yeah. So on on that uh, sad uh, damn beat, um, let's go into it. So, th- brief plot synopsis: The Doctor and Amy are joined by Rory, Amy's fiance, and they arrive in 16th century Venice, where they encounter blood-sucking vampires who actually are alien fish-like race on the brink of extinction, and to intend and intend to turn the Venetian lagoon fit for their own habitation at the detriment of the human population living there. The cast and crew, Matt Smith, obviously plays the Doctor. Karen Gillan plays Amy Pond. Arthur Darville plays Rory. Hannah McCrory plays Rosanna. Alex Price plays Francesco. Lucian Mismati plays uh, Guido. And Alicia Bailey plays Isabella. The story is directed by John Campbell, who has a long and impressive career directing a mixture of comedy and drama, but in terms of Doctor Who, he also directed Vincent and the Doctor. The story is written by Toby Whithouse, who also wrote the uh, Torchwood episode Greeks Bearing Gifts. Prior to Vampires, he also wrote School Reunion. He has several. He has written several other stories for the series, with the most recent being 2017's The Lie of the Land. Uh... Vampires of Venice was produced by Stephen Moffat and the music was by Murray Gold. Um, So, going straight into it, we have a pre-titles scene, uh, which is a follow, which sort of follows in from the episodes, uh, the the previous story, which um, saw Amy kiss the Doctor. Which I remember when I first watched that. It was like, where on earth has this come from? This is a bit, um, you know, a- Amy's suddenly sort of like gushing over the Doctor and suddenly wanting to have a romantic relationship, which seems to come completely out of nowhere. Um, funny enough, Stephen Moffat has later said that that, is a mista- that was a mistake. Oh, really? Yeah, and um, I thought that at the time, and I agree with him. I don't know where that came from, but obviously having brought that, brought that into the series, it obviously has to be uh, addressed. And it's addressed here. So Rory is having a, um, a stag do, uh, you know, and he's he's leaving um, Amy a, a voicemail, and it's all very, you know, all very sort of like sweet and lovely and all the rest of it. A cake is brought in, and uh, to everyone's surprise, the doctor pops out of the cake. Uh, and then there's this whole scene, which I think is supposed to be comedic, which is the doctor is saying, um, "Oh, I've." Uh, you know, I've left the woman who was supposed to be in here outside in a bikini. Better bring her in. She's diabetic. Uh, and just to tell you, Rory, um, Amy kissed me, and obviously that goes down like a, a mm. cup of cold sick. It's a bit socially awkward. Um, 
I just to my recollection, uh, obviously remembered this wrong, but I expected Matt Smith to pop out naked. <laughs> I don't know why I remembered it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I think what you do is, um, I think I know what you mean. There's there's a Does later Matt Smith episode with Clara, where isn't isn't he naked in the TARDIS? But obviously, we only see the top half. Yes, that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I kind of know what you mean. It sort of would make sense him doing it here, but thankfully, you know, he's not. He's still wearing the bow tie and the shirt and the jacket and everything. Um, uh, I've got to say, just getting the negative out of the way, I don't particularly like this scene. Um, in that, I think it's clearly meant to be comedic, but I don't think it's particularly funny. And actually, the Doctor comes across as a bit of a prat. I guess he does, but it does convey um, the whole awkwardness of the whole situation for Rory. Mm-hmm. Um, it's right there in Rory's face that uh, Amy kissed the Doctor, and he um, he of course responds to that internally. <laughs> He's got a problem with the whole the whole uh, the whole situation. Mm-hmm. No, no, yeah, um, which is well, okay. I kind of like the scene anyway. Oh, okay. It's well, it's probably one of those things where we disagree on. I think it's, it, I think it's a comedic scene which doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, personally, I, I've never really sort of liked it. Um, no, that that said, though, I, am, I have a different perspective on the story now because back then, um, I just I found it hard to like Rory, and mm-hmm. um, possibly in a similar way. Um, with Mickey from series one in the first episode um, he's not presented in the best way um, he's more like the the useless boyfriend mm-hmm. and if he were to be in the picture he would just kind of get in the way of the relationship between the doctor and Rose which isn't necessarily a romantic relationship but it would kind of um, get, get in between that and cause um a bit of friction there, um, and now we get that again with Rory, um, and I and I had, kind of had the same feeling like I didn't want Rory in the picture because it's too awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, but as it turns out, the relationship between the three of them turned out great. Um, so yeah. with the, in hindsight, um, I'm revisiting this, and I like Rory more than I did. Um, so he's he's become one of the highlights of this whole episode, and he wasn't that originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny enough, I had the exact same opinion, and it wasn't um, it wasn't uh, uh, a criticism of Arthur Darville who who plays the part. I thought he played the part well. I didn't have a problem with the actor. I did have a problem with the character uh, for basically very much the same reasons you did. Um, uh, I just thought I, I, he actually irritated me and I just felt he got sort of got mm. in the way of just having this really good relationship between the Doctor and the main companion Amy just like can't we just get on with the adventure without having this bumbling prat hanging around um, and I'm so glad they made the show um, so focused on him later on mm-hmm. um, um, but yes uh, later on I mean so, I think certainly by the time and this goes back to when I was originally watching the series back in 2010 uh, when it came to the final two episodes of the series, um, I didn't mind him as much, and mm. you know I grew to like the character 
But certainly at this point in the series with the Vampires of Venice, yeah, I didn't particularly like the character. But I had the same reaction. Having come back to it now, for the purposes of this podcast, I was watching it and uh, he didn't irritate as much. He he does irritate me a little bit for for another reason later on, which we'll we'll obviously get to. Um, mm-hmm. But on the whole, it was sort of it was a bit of a, a revelation. Suddenly, I quite liked the character. Um, yeah, it really made the whole thing easier mm-hmm. to digest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, yeah, uh, I thought the the dynamic actually worked quite well. So it was quite nice to to come back to that and see. Oh, I've actually reevaluated an aspect of uh, of the episode. So so that was good. Um, so obviously, having dro- dropped this this awful uh, this social clunker, uh, the doctor the reason why he's mentioned it is because he realised that there's a problem here and that he needs to address. So it's like, right, come on, Rory, you're coming with us. So he basically s- sort of sets up what was supposed to be uh, a nice romantic uh, setting for them, which is let's take you to Venice, perfect location, love a lovely city. I, I, sadly, I've never been. Uh, I'd love to. There's something about historically, I really like the Renaissance. That um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of interest there. In terms of drama, uh, I think it lends itself very well. There's a certain you know, in terms of the the atmosphere and the locations and everything. And I also think it's very good for uh, for programs like Doctor Who. I really like it when the show goes into a Renaissance period. It's there in stories like The Mask of Mandragora. It's um, it's it's there briefly in in City of Death, and here you know it's brought back, and I, I you know it's to do with the location, the historical period, the costumes, and everything like that. Um, mm. It's just a great location. Um, it's kind of funny, obviously, now watching the episode in twenty twenty one. They've arrived in Venice, and they very nearly don't get in because, it, as we find out, that the villains have lied to the Venetians, pretending that there's a virus out there. Um, mm. Uh, so everyone in Venice is sort of like basically being in lockdown. No one can come in and no one can go out. She's like, hmm, okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, th- you got the psychic paper again. One of those, one of those uh, ideas uh, which uh, sometimes can be, you know, it's it's a good idea, but sometimes a bit like the sonic screwdriver can be uh, allow writers a very easy way out of a, a particular situation. But I think actually the psychic paper works very well. It's it's a way of getting the just the doctors in uh, the doctor and his companions into the city um it's done sort of comedically it also becomes a bit of a plot point later on in terms of how they're how they're called yeah um i but and we also get the great scene with the library card yes yeah yeah, yeah. nice callback <laughs> it is um one of the things that we one of the things that i really like about this story is that the, the premise of it is is set up uh very well so what it is is that there's this Venetian school um, which offers the opportunity for people um, to, to, to better themselves from, from, from the lower class. So we have uh, Guido brings his daughter Isabella um, into this school, which is run by uh, Rosanna, played by Helen McCrory. Uh, but... We, the audience, quickly established that mm, it's not really for the purposes of education or social betterment. There's something else going on. Basically, these girls are being brought into the school, but they're transformed. And they're, tr- they're being transformed into uh, what appears to be um, vampires. You know, that yeah. that's set up very quickly. The Doctor and Amy 
um, quickly realise something's going on. The, the Doctor is separated from Amy and Rory, so there's a, the, there's a brief moment when they're sort of um, finding out what's going on, from, but from, from different angles. Um, Amy and Rory see Francesco, who is uh, Rosanna's son, um, uh, attack and suck the blood from some poor fa- flower girl. Um, whereas the, the you know the, the doctor's going to investigate, and there's this great scene later on where th- they both then the doctor and Amy run into each other, and they're basically going it's vampires, and they're basically comparing notes and then notes and then yeah, they're Ro- so happy, <laughs> and so happy. Ro- Ro- Ro is just uh, sort of out the picture because he's just observing and trying to catch up with everything. I really like that setup because it's established obviously it's establishing uh two things it's establishing the fact that the doctor and amy have traveled uh for quite some time together and they clearly enjoy each other's company they're they're very good friends and they're used to this sort of thing rory's thrown into this situation for the first time and is trying to catch up with these two i just like the way that it's written and performed i think it's very good yeah it also helps to kind of um make rory feel a bit pushed aside like he he can't really get in get into this relationship with the with the two of them so you just feel like a bit of an outsider mm-hmm. which um so he's yeah so he is the outsider and he's more observing and sort of um being a bit critical of the situation which is understandable because what what is then established is because they then befriend uh guido and they go they realize that they have to get into this uh this school to find out what's going on and amy has no problems of saying well why do i why do why don't i go in uh on the pretense that i'm wanting to attend this school and then i can open because there's this um this grade so i can open i can unlock that from the inside which allowed you to come in and then start your investigating obviously rory doesn't want this to happen because you know it's his fiance and it's putting Amy in danger. Um, and even the doctor seems to, well, it's a bit funny, the sort of the, the doctor's reaction um, because he, he, he doesn't want Amy to do this, but it, it's not as if he's put much of a, much of a fight against the idea, is he? No, no, not at all. Um, in fact, if Rory wasn't there, I wonder if the doctor would have, would have objected. Yeah, I mean, I very much doubt it. It, uh, it seems to be that... I mean, there's a couple of occasions in this episode where he's he's holding back on Amy's involvement for Rory's sake, which later Rory thanks him for. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Rory sort of develops um, during the course of this episode as well. Um, but the, the, there is a scene where... Rory calls the doctor out saying that you know that the doctor makes people dangerous because they put themselves in danger but not only to, because to, they want to impress him because they want to impress him uh what do you think of that scene um that's a good observation from Rory um questioning whether it's a correct observation mm. um I don't know if the doctor just makes people become overconfident or more confident in themselves I'm not I'm not sure if it's um, if it's to impress, but um, it, it's good of Rory to be on the defensive and, of course, question um, putting putting Amy in harm's way, um, and he's her fiance. You know, there's another man here putting her in danger. Um, he's quite right to question it. Mm-hmm. I remember when 
because I think the way that it's the the way that the the scene is written and directed and performed, obviously there's meant to be a great uh, emphasis on this. I think uh, the idea is that Rory's criticisms are supposed to be correct, and he's you know he finally someone's calling out the Doctor on this. I remember when I first watched this in 2010, I quite liked that scene. But funny enough, watching it now, I don't, I don't buy it for the the reasons that that you've said. I like the scene, uh, and certainly Rory uh, calling the Doctor out and, and and talking about it. But um, to say that the Doctor makes puts people in danger in order to impress him, that, that I, I I agree with you. I, I don't think that's a correct observation. Although I think we, the audience, are supposed to think that it is. I've always taken it that. What the Doctor does is, um, it's sort of twofold during the course of the series. It's been there from the very beginning. The friends, the companions that he's with make him more human, which is good for the Doctor. But the Doctor also helps the companions he's with, uh, building their confidence up and realising how they, you know, they can help the situation. And, And I think that's the observation here, to say that, they simply want to impress the Doctor. Yeah, I agree with you, Robert. I think that's an yeah. incorrect observation. But nonetheless... I mean, there's, there's been other interpretations, like Davros made the observation that he turns people into weapons, so he doesn't have to um, kind of pull the trigger at times. Yeah, which I I like that coming from Davros, because you can kind of go, well, that's uh, that's a doc- you know, that's a, an arch-enemy of the Doctor. You know, turning the situation. I mean, he might be right, even him. if the doctor isn't isn't aware of this on a conscious level. Um, maybe so in, on 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 some level, um, the doctor does do this. Uh, but mm. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I mean, I I take the way that I read that sort of thing. I think that's a good scene in in, in that in that story, uh, and that's a David Tennant one. Um, but again, it's sort of like no. I've always seen it that the Doctor uh, makes people, you know, builds their confidence up and, and, and willing to do the difficult thing, which is fight against yeah, evil. Yeah, kind of better themselves and, right? and better themselves, um, which we certainly see between you know the relationship that the Doctor has with with Donna. The fact that Davros comes, you know, comes out of it. No, he he's manipulating the situation and 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 um, turning the situation on head and actually twisting what's actually a very positive thing into something negative because he's the doc you know he's the enemy of the doctor whereas um rory's observation in this story i don't think is is correct but it's sort but it's it is a good way to see how rory develops which even even the doctor calls out on him because later obviously i'm jumping ahead at this point but when they're at the point when they're trying to resolve the situation um rory's the one who says but we're not leaving you to the doctor (laughs) You know, even the doctor goes. Hang on, you're saying this one minute, and now which we not, you know, we're not leaving you, and so you know, from that point of view, it's 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 nice to see that you know, finally towards the end of the story, Rory's actually learnt an awful lot during this brief period, and is kind of comfortable mm. with the situation. Yeah. Um, but uh, prior to this, we we. Um, you know, you mentioned it before. The, the doctor is investigating the situation, and he's in a room, and he's checking himself out in the mirror, and then he turns round. You know, and there's that typical thing of uh, a group of creepy women, and I can't see their reflection. It's sort of it's that wonderful balance of of humour in the scene and um, and and threat. 
and it is it's it's sort of eerie, but it's also quite comedic. I've seen and I, I quite mm. I, I really like it. But we've got that wonderful moment where the doctor's thinking it's the the psychic paper, but it's actually an old library card, and we've got you know, and it's William Hartnell, um, mm. which is you know on the library card, which is you know it's just quite nice to see you know the very first actor you know appear, you know get, yeah. get acknowledged. Um, you know, in, it is in believable the, because a lot of people probably have an out of date library card lying around somewhere. I, I was going to say really, but actually, I, I think I do somewhere. Uh, so yes, you're probably right. Um, so so yes, actually, I'm going to uh, go off on a little bit of a tangent here, just talking about uh, libraries and obviously books. Um, so uh, Rob obviously knows this. So what happened was I've ordered uh, some Target novelizations. I got them delivered. One of them was damaged. That the the, the um, it was Doctor Who and the Daleks. It was really weird because. The cover wasn't put on the book properly, and then it was completely misprinted, and it was just odd. So anyway, I got a replace. I sent that back and got a replacement. Finally, I've got the replacement, Rob. I was supposed to yeah, tell yeah. you. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, so th- Rob and I have got this idea that at some point we, we're going to. I think we're thinking of basically calling it the, the Cloister Bell uh, Book Club. We will have some podcasts where we will review uh, Doctor Who books. So uh, I'm going to go through some of the target novelizations. So at some point, look out, look out for that. I thought I'd mention it because we're just talking about libraries and books. And yeah, that's, a, that's an exclusive right there. Yeah. <laughs> the, the book club. <laughs> yeah. So uh, at some point, hopefully quite soon, um, because as I mentioned in the previous podcast, I've, I've gone a bit book mad and I've got a ton of books that I need to go through. Um, so, But hopefully it won't take me too long to go through the millions of books that I've ridiculously bought. Um, so at some point I will go through... Uh, at least the first three target novelizations, which are Doctor Who and the Daleks, Doctor Who and the Zarbi, uh, which is the Web Planet novelization, and Doctor Who and the Crusaders, and uh, yeah. uh, and Rob will be doing the same, but with uh, with different books. And uh, you've got your own list, haven't you? Um, I do. Um, I have already read the first of the Time Lord Victorious books, mm-hmm. which um, I got for Christmas, and. I think I'd read the first few chapters, mildly interested, and then you know what Christmas is like. It's a bit overwhelming. I totally forgot about it. It was sitting <laughs> on my bedside. Um, you'd mentioned maybe reviewing some books, so I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll do some of the new era, new era ones. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, why not do this? It's a, it's quite a short, digestible kind of story. I can read it in a day, which I did. Um, and I think I'll make that my first um, topic of discussion. Uh, and who knows, maybe we'll do more Time Lord Victorious if I pick up the next book, which I think uh, inevitably will. Because <laughs> the first book ended on a cliffhanger. <laughs> ah, right, yeah, yeah, you need to get the, just by the whole set. Um, yeah, so t- uh, I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on the, um, the Time Lord Victorious, and hopefully listeners will be interested to hear my take on uh, yes. some of the target novelizations. Um, Ooh, I wonder if we should... You know what, actually, I was going to mention something there, but I won't. Okay, it's okay. I'll wait for another week. Ooh, okay, exciting. Right, okay, great. Um, but anyway, I just thought we'd mention that because we're talking about libraries and books and you know, and, yeah. uh, and William Hartnell. Um, so we were... The Doctor was kind of in the basement with these vampires. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to go too much into this, but um, for anyone who's not aware, um, vampires have already been an established part of the Doctor Who law. Mm-hmm. Um all the way back to um, a Tom Baker's story called State of Decay. Yeah, yeah, I love that one. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, um, and my first thought was, um, is it going to be these kind of vampires? And it wasn't the case, you know, halfway through the episode, you think, mm, something fishy going on here. Right. Just yep. fish. <laughs> um, which is, I mean, may, maybe it was an inventive kind of train of thought because the water in Venice, you know, it does, it does kind of fit with the whole the whole um, topography of the whole city. But <laughs> um, well, yeah, it's actually... Ve- no, sorry, go on. We're talking interruption. But, oh, yes, but um, of course, um, vampires are, um, had previously existed. Are, are you bothered or not um, that it wasn't... It didn't have a connection to that? No, no, I wasn't. I mean, as you said, um, vampires are established as, as, as part of of the show's folklore. It's in that story stated K, which was written by Terence Dix. It was in Tom Baker's final season. It's a, I love that story. It's, um, uh, it's great. And, uh, I've suddenly got an urge to, to watch it now. Um, and then later on when it was the Virgin New Adventures and, uh, the missing adventures, they're brought in. Terence Dix wrote Blood Harvest, which, um, is obviously the seventh doctor, but it's a sequel to State of Decay. It ties in. And it, it's a great story. It's set in 1920s Chicago. You know, there's gangsters and all the rest of it. There's vampires lurking around 1920s Chicago. Yes. In fact, you, you got me a book. Ah, um, oh, Vampire Science. When I last Vampire Science, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, haven't, I haven't finished it. I, I did start it. And I thought, oh, I really want to get into that. I thought, I'll read the Eight Doctors. I'll revisit the Eight Doctors first because Vampire Science is the second book in the Eighth Doctor Adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe that'll be exciting to finally get back to that. Yeah, so I think they're the, they're the the same time of vampires. And I know that the vampires turn up in the Time Lord Victorious. They do. Yeah. It's the the Time Lord Victorious franchise, if you call it, because there's that much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Ninth Doctor portion of that was... Uh, in the Doctor Who magazine comics, was it Monstrous Bee or something like that? Something like that, yeah, yeah. Some, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the Ninth Doctor goes back to the Dark Times and um, the vampires are included there. Um, what else are they in? Um, if vampire Science. Uh, the Grace. Um, Colin Baker actually plays... Um, an ancient vampire. Ah, okay. Um, to some extent, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. Um, oh, will we will we get round to that? How are we going to do the um, the Eighth Doctor audios, Liam? It's going to take so long, <laughs> and we're just putting it off. <laughs> we'll work out something. We'll we'll get to it when when. And you you don't want to like... skip through them. Um. You don't want to just dip in here and there. I mean, no. I, 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 yeah, I think I think probably that's actually just dipping in and out is probably the best the best way. Obviously, uh, if because because there's like it's divided into entirely different eras, which don't necessarily connect. Ah, uh, right, okay. Uh, but um, ah, we'll work something out. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll do if, it when we, the maybe move, if we we'll keep this podcast right. going for at least another ten years, it might give us time to get through them. <laughs> 
maybe we sh- we, we shall see. It's uh, we will we will endeavor to do that. Um, so yeah, uh, so basically, you know, vampires in in the traditional sense are a big part of the show, but these are obviously a, a different type of thing, and I quite like that. Um, um, I didn't feel it was a missed opportunity or anything. I mean, were you disappointed or did you like? Uh... No, no, it, I made a, an assumption. Um, and it wasn't the case, but I didn't really care. Um, it kind of made more sense to not kind of harken back to something that the viewers would be unfamiliar with. <laughs> um, and it doesn't contradict anything because, you know, they're not actually um, vampires at all um, in the sense that we think, you know. So it, it, it works on its own. <laughs> Yeah, and love it. I hate it. it, No, I mean I really like it, and it's you know it's an imaginative take on it, and of course it's doing that um, that thing as well of of addressing some of the things. So why aren't the vampires' reflections seen in a mirror? And that's because you know these are these are uh, giant fish-like creatures that are using uh, perception filters uh, to appear human, Uh, but because there's that conflict. Um, it's confusing the natural order of reflections um, so nothing actually gets thrown back it makes sense within the context of the story don't think about it too much because you could go well why doesn't it just show a distorted reflection um, but it makes sense in the way in the moment when you're watching the story and how it's written and the way that uh, yeah. Matt Smith you know says the lines you know you totally buy it but afterwards you go oh, hang on a minute no 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 don't think it, about even it even the whole explanation about the teeth the doctor questions. The doctor gets one question later on. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. How do we see your teeth? And it was because um, the body can't resist the um, the box. The, the the body senses threat or something. I don't. Know, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whatever was said. Um, <laughs> but why would you not? Why would the body not inherently be afraid of a giant shrimp? <laughs> Why, why do you only see the teeth? <laughs> because the rest of the perception filter is working, but the fact that the. Anyway, what was the question? I've completely forgot. Uh, no, you answered it completely. It's fine. All right, okay, that's fine. Great, let's move on. Um, silence is falling. Anyway, um, so. <laughs> great. Actually, because uh, one of the great things. Because you mentioned it earlier, because of the t- you know these are basically fish-like creatures um, who appear to be vampires, um, but it you but it actually uses the, the uh, Venice as a location because all the because Francesca is the mother of the of all her sons apart from Francesca, all the other sons about I think. Was there ten thousand of them, or something like that? They're hiding. Right, yeah. They're hiding in the rivers of Venice, obviously swimming around. It's actually a really good uh, use of the location, and it's one of those things which uh, Eric Saywood, when he was script editor of Doctor Who in the nineteen eighties, whenever um, John Nathan Turner, who was the producer, said, oh, "Why can't we do a story in some foreign location?" Uh, Eric Saywood always had a problem with that. He always said that, well, the, the problem is you just end up u- using the location for the sake of it. So when they were planning for the two Doctors, the original plan was to have it in New Orleans. So they just wrote, Robert Holmes wrote the story set in New Orleans because Jonathan Turner wanted the story set there. Then they realised that was too expensive. And then after basically sticking a pin in a, uh, a, pin in a map, it was a bit 
bit more than that, but essentially you just go, why don't we just do it in Seville? And then Eric Sayward said, but the problem is with that, you're not really setting the story in Seville because the story benefits that. You've just, let's do Seville because we can. And then all what you do is you're just running up Seville for the sake of it. Um, which actually he has got a point. Although I quite like the doctor, two doctors being set in Venice because it's just a different geographic location. And it opens up you know, the world of Doctor Who to things can take place on the rest of the planet. Um, mm. But you've got the doctor to finally take his core off. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> but actually, you know, he has got a point. And sort of the, the story of the vampires of Venice sort of makes that case in point very well. It's set in Venice because it makes sense. You know, you've got these uh, alien fish-like creatures who are on the brink of extinction. So they need to go somewhere where there's an awful lot of water. Um, Venice is a perfect, you know, th- and whereas there is inhabitants that they can they, they can draw in and use. Because... And they hide in plain sight and they've got a... Because of the plague... They've got a, um, a kind of cover story for um, for the lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so th- I, I hope that's not the case in reality. You know? <laughs> no. I'm not even going to go there. So I just <laughs> oh god, we're surrounded by vampires. Anyway, um, <laughs> giant fish. You know what? Maybe the likes of David Icke have got it wrong. Maybe it's not giant lizards. Maybe it's giant fish. Maybe the queen is a giant fish. Anyway, uh, <laughs> oh, conspiracy theories, uh, aren't they fun? So um, anyway, come back to the main part. So um, this is a great example of using you know a great yeah. geographical location to serve the yeah. purpose of the story very well, and it, it, and all it all ties in. Um, obviously, uh, Helen McCrory plays Rosanna, who's really the, the sort of main villain, but she's. The way again that that character is written, she's not really sort of a villain because you can get. I mean, obviously she's she's prepared to kill the whole of Venetians in order for her race to survive. But you, but the point is, she's not being evil for the you know for the sake of it. You can actually see where she's coming from, and there's a brilliant scene. I mean, every scene that she's in is actually you know she holds it very well. Um, actually, one one point that I, I want to mention is because. Um, uh, I really like the costume design in this story because it, it ties in very well. It's it's very imaginatively thought out. Obviously, you've got the um, uh, the period costume is on point, so it sets the historical uh, setting that we're in. But the way that, for example, because she, she is the, the mother vampire fish or whatever you want to call them, when you the way that she appears is obviously in a, in, in a velvet dress with this huge sort of. Um, Oh, I don't know what you call it. Well, like the collar piece. Yes, the, yes, that yeah. huge collar. And then when, you, and then when she appears uh, as herself, as this this fish-like creature, you know, uh, you've got these sort of this, you know, these spikes behind her, you know, and it sort of the costume design and the monster design are clearly thought through simultaneously. So when you see one turned into the other. Uh, there's a sort of a marrying up of the two things, yeah. which I think is. It... Although there's there's one thing that really distracted me. Um, we have sequences of them changing appearance from being fully clothed mm-hmm. um, to being them being a giant shrimp thing, um, and then we also have scenarios where 
the take the take clothes off and then change so it's like the discard in a bit of the hologram. <laughs> yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, that that is a bit which doesn't quite make sense, and it's a bit of a shame because I think actually, otherwise that marrying uh, uh, unless up the, work. unless uh, there's a, they did actually put real clothes on after the change, which is fine. You know that's perfectly acceptable. Yeah, but the, but then the thing is, it's sort of like a perception filter. Um, yeah. So if they're putting clothes on to cover up their huge fishy selves, then the clothes would have to be humongous. How does that work? Yeah. yeah, don't think about it too much. It works other than the moment. But yeah, you're right. It does sort of distract from that. But otherwise, I actually think that the, the marrying up of the traditional costume to the monster design is actually really, uh, really well done. Uh, so I just wanted to mention that. But um, there are these great scenes uh, with Helen McCrory and pretty much every scene that she's in. You know, when she's, you know, opposite Alex Price, who's playing her son, Francesco. You know, th- those are great scenes. And there's something very... Um, chilling about them and something really creepy about their their relationship Um, but I think that the best scene is between Rosanna and the Doctor Um, you know when they're having that conversation and they're asking a a question each and answering it Uh, Mm -hmm. I love that scene Mm -hmm. Uh, it's so in terms of the direction it's so simply done but it works very effectively and Helen McCrory plays that part with you know, with great, um, it's a it's a phenomenally good performance. It's full of, you know, she's playing the part subtly, so there's nuance in the performance. But you know, she's strong. But there's also a softness to the character that you know we haven't seen previously because we're just thinking, well, there's a ruthlessness there. Um, yeah. Because and, the kidnapping the doctor has an issue that um, she does lack compassion because. She didn't remember Isabella's name. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But then um, if you kind of let that go, um, she's just trying to preserve her race. Mm Mm-hmm. Long way from Saturn, aren't you? Sister of the water. Now, let me guess. The owner of the psychic paper. And I take it you're a refugee like me. I'll make you a deal. An answer for an answer. You're using a perception filter. It doesn't change your features, but manipulates the brainwaves of the person looking at you. But seeing one of you for the first time in, say, a mirror, the brain doesn't know what to fill the gap with, so leaves it blank. (laughs) Hence, no reflection. Your question? Why can we see your big teeth? Self-preservation overrides the mirage. The subconscious perceives the threat and tries to alert the conscious brain. Where's Isabella? My turn. Where are you from? Gallifrey. You should be in a museum. (laughs) Or in a mausoleum. Why are you here? We ran from the silence. Why are you here? Wedding present. The silence. There were cracks. Some were tiny. Some were as big as the sky. Through some, we saw worlds and people. And through others, we saw silence. And the end of all things. We fled to an ocean like ours. And the cracks snapped shut behind us. 
Saturnine was lost. So Earth is to become Saturnine Mark II. And you can help me. We can build a new society here as others have. What do you say? Isabella. Isabella? The girl who saved my friend. Oh, deserters must be executed. Any general will tell you that. I need an answer, Doctor. A partnership. Any which way you choose. I don't think that's such a good idea, do you? I'm a Time Lord. You're a big fish. Think of the children. Carla! You were right. We're nothing alike. I will bend the heavens to save my race, while you philosophize. This ends today. I will tear down the house of Calvieri stone by stone. Take your hands off me, Carla. You know why? Didn't know Isabella's name. You didn't know Isabella's name. So, because she's got all these sons and she's wanting to preserve the race, so what they're doing is they're bringing in these uh, these Venetian women into their care in inverted commas with the intention of obviously not educa- educating them as we established earlier, but actually to turn them. They've got this process of turning them into their own kind. So that's what's going on. Um, and it's this this great scene where... Because you actually... They're trying to find out where the other person's coming from. But it, it doesn't feel... That whole scene is written very well because it doesn't just feel like an information dump. Although mm-hmm. it is there, obviously, to further the plot, uh, plot, plot along. But this is a case of really good writing. Well, we're on this point. I'll just um, point something out. Toby Whithouse, who wrote this story, he also wrote School Reunion. Yes. And in some ways, I think it's fair to say, uh, this this story is almost a carbon copy of that, um, just the way some scenarios play out. Uh, in In both, we have kind of a school where they're um, where they're hiding their appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene we've just talked about with the doctor and the fish mother, um, <laughs> that parallels the scene the doctor had with Mr. Finch, the headmaster. Yes, yes, it does. School yeah, yeah. reunion. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, he had uh, a similar outlook. He was just trying to preserve the Quillotane, mm-hmm. his his race. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot to compare, um, and it's quite striking and obvious. But uh, it is actually to the uh, point where you're going, oh, how did I not notice it? Because yeah. you're right that that there are those they are those comparisons. Yeah, I mean it doesn't. Uh, I'm aware of it now, but it doesn't bother me. No, no, because you're mentioning it, and I'm just going, oh, how come I didn't notice that? Because actually, now that you mention it, yes, the comparisons are there. Uh, between the story and school reunion, there are they are obvious, but um, but no, the uh, 
I'm frustrated because I feel like it is such glaringly obvious. So I'm basically kicking myself for having not noticed it because you're right; those comparisons are there. But yeah, it, it doesn't bother me because I still think the Vampires of Venice is is still a good story. Yeah, now that you mention it, it is effectively a retelling of School Reunion. Um, you know, um, and Rory's there. I mean, you, you compare. You know, when we're talking about oh, uh, yes, Mickey and Rory. Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, so you know the, the, there are quite a few <laughs> there are quite a few comparisons, but nonetheless it doesn't bother me too much because so uh, the Vampires of Venice is a retelling of School Reunion, but it's repackaged. Uh, I like the repackaging. Um, I like the setting. Uh, I like the character relationships. I still think it's an enjoyable story. It doesn't, even though it is now that you mention it, it doesn't it doesn't come across too derivative. I think. No. <laughs> um. <laughs> But now that you mentioned it, yes, those comparisons are, are, are clearly there. Yeah. I think we need to stop talking before we find more comparisons and we'll just ruin the story. <laughs> yeah. So we've established the, the the main um you know, the main plot and then obviously the doctor has to stop it because what the plan is by Francesca is turn the whole um the whole climate of Venice in order for her people to repopulate the city. So anyway, just going back to that scene that I like, uh, that I was talking about before between her and the Doctor, because then, you know, this is established what the plan is. Um, so then, the you know, the, the Doctor goes away uh, to to resolve the situation. Um, you know, and then, the, you know, the Rory's fully on board, as, as we've said before. So now we're, we're coming up to the... The, the main, you know, sort of the, the main climax of the story, you know, uh, it's uh, things are appearing in the sky, everything's doom laden. I was a bit confused about this aspect. You know how because everything starts to to rain heavily, is the rain supposed to hurt people? Um, I didn't think so because I know that um, she was the doc. Didn't the doctor say they were going to sink the city? Yes, which. Did, was that not literal? Was it just mean like drown the city, or raise the raise the levels? No, no, that, that's that's no. what I took it for. It was just because obviously all these things going up in the sky, and then the whole climate's changing, and then you've got that that thing you know where people are running around pointing at the sky, screaming their bloody heads off uh, because things are looking pretty doom laden, which is you know fair enough. A much more believable reaction of people being scared than uh, than Smith and Jones. Um, yeah. So you know we've actually got better extras in this episode, which is uh, which is good and much better directed. Um, but it was just sort of I was a bit confused as well because it seemed to be that not only were they react in certain shots, not only did they seem to be reacting to what they were seeing, but I also thought that they were reacting to the pain of like the rain falling on them or something. Is it supposed to be oh, acid? Right. acid? I was a bit confused by that. Um, yeah. But. Maybe it's me seeing something that's not there. I don't know, but I was just a bit slightly confused. It's supposed to be acid rain or something. I don't know. I don't know. Does it not get much rain over there? See, we're used to it. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe you're just too used to the gloomy weather. Yeah, being British, it was just like, why are they reacting so weirdly to the rain? Freaks. Just because you know, you're used to it. Uh, right, okay. Yeah, it's probably that. Yeah. Um,. <laughs> But then we have this this whole thing of the Doctor realising that what he has to do is he has to climb outside the top of the tower because the, the thing that's controlling the weather is um, is is on the top of this uh, top of the building. There's something really dramatic, but there's also something quite comedic about this because he opens up the dome which has the mechanics in it, and he just flicks a switch off. 
Yeah. And then that, <laughs> and that's it. You know, I think... I didn't really feel the danger that it was going to fall or anything. Yeah, no, 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 I I didn't. Wasn't much threat. (laughs) But I thought it was just, you know, you know, you're building up the tension. I thought you would have to be pulling out wires and all the rest of it. But no, it's just flicks a switch. I mean, it makes sense. It works. But there was something, there's something quite comedic about um, the building up of all this. And yet it's just such a simple solution. Yeah. And there's also no more antagonists to deal with at this point. No, because at this point, you know, Francesca knows that, uh, that she's defeated all the women who have been converted into fish people, uh, they've they were blown up. Her son's been killed in in a scene earlier where oh actually uh, I forgot to talk about this. So there's a scene when um, uh, Francesca is is going after Amy and Rory, uh, but mainly after Amy and Rory. You know is trying to you know defend amy uh, brilliant brilliant scene it's a brilliant it's scene room uh, like lightsaber <laughs> but the third... and then eventually he just kind of jabs him in the chest <laughs> with the bristles of the book yeah you know francesca's armed with this sword but he's he's got a broom but the thing is because uh, francesca is completely uh focused entirely on amy you've got rory I, who... I see where you're going here yeah, yeah yeah uh you've got rory who's just starting insults uh none of them he's not really bothered by them until he mentions his mother and then he turns around yeah <laughs> and just the... mummy. yeah it's just good did you simply did you say something about my mummy one i like the line but it's the way that alex price uh says it as well it cracks me up uh i remember <laughs> laughing my head off back in 2010 laughing my head off now uh, having rewatched it i think it's just <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just love, oh, I just love that delivery of that 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 line. I just think it's great. It cracks me up. Um, but yes, you're right. So in in Arthur Darvall's fighting, um, yeah, it's quite realistic. Probably <laughs> a weed fight. <laughs> How dare you? No, uh, really. <laughs> uh, but yeah, very probably. Uh, <laughs> and, and you know, and and Amy saves the day. Uh, you know, by using her brain and reflecting the sunlight through her hand mirror onto onto Francesco, which uh, blows him um, up. Uh, yeah, d- d- is that how physics work? It's, it's such a such a bright beam of light. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> for the purpose and then of the... giant alien shrimps just disintegrate instantly. Yeah. Well, I mean, assume so. I mean, I haven't encountered uh, giant shrimps yeah. who have a aversion to light. Have you? Not yet. Exactly. So I'll test to... the theory. <laughs> yeah. I'll get the chance. I will have to keep uh, retesting it for scientific purposes to see if it is yeah. actually, you know, you, you know, repeated. But anyway, um, so he's been dealt with. All of the all the women, all the uh, Venetian women turned into fish people. That they, they be they were blown up earlier. So it's just Francesca, um, and she actually, you know. Because she's defeated, she she then goes to uh, commit suicide. But actually, I mean, it's just disturbing in of itself. But especially the way that it's done in this story, because um, all her sons are in uh, in the water, and this sort of like I mean, we don't see them, but the way that they behave, it's sort of how we think piranhas behave. Mm. Anything that appears human, they're just going to eat. Her perception filter is completely broken at this point, so she can't switch it off. So she appears human. So she's going to go into the waters and be eaten by her own children. 
Ugh. Mm, yeah, she's uh, kind of admitted defeat here. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and to do it in that way is it's a bit ugh, creepy. Um, yeah, it's it's strange the different dynamics of these creatures. Um, uh, well, I was almost going to say, do you think like, the females are the more intellectuals because a son was more driven by instinct and he wasn't very patient, but then again, the converted girls. Were more like drones, weren't they? I think it's really it's. It, I think it's more to do with an age thing because the, the things in the in in the water are clearly still children, so they're right, just okay. you know going off uh, we're hungry. Let's just ferociously ferociously eat something. Whereas, I think you're right about Francesco's character, but I think that's just to do with the character, or you know that's his personality as an adult. Yeah. Um. As you know, obviously the the mature adults, so that they can plan things and and, and so. Yeah. On. All kind of human traits. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what ever came of the children. Obviously, they would die out because they couldn't procreate. Yeah. But they're, st- they're still there. There's still ten bloody thousand of them. Um, yeah, but it's not as if they then the have a, a ready food supply available to them. No. So those, you know, those poor things obviously starve to death. Yes. Till anyone goes for a dip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So just you know, just don't go for a swim in Venice, and you'll be fine. Um, now uh, we have had um, some uh, listeners' responses. Thank you very much for getting in contact. Um, uh, I don't think I've missed any, but just in case I have, Rob, obviously correct me. But um, we had Luke Morris uh, get in contact with us, and he, he said Rory's first outing. Oh well, <laughs> he puts the laughy emoji. Um, <laughs> I remember the location was lovely, although it was filmed in Croatia. It just now, yeah, it just feels like another rehash of School Reunion. Same writer. The ending was rushed and very weak. It's largely forgettable and doesn't hit the romantic nail on the head. Uh, obviously, he mentions the point that that you picked up on, and for, for reasons probably because my brain doesn't work properly, um, I didn't pick up on. But yeah, that it, that it is a rehash of School Reunion. Um, and as we've you know said earlier, there is an awful lot to compare it on. Um, yeah, uh, more than I more than I thought originally. <laughs> yeah, even like um, how we had the crillitane oil. Um, in this, we had kind of the the fish creatures' blood, <laughs> mm-hmm. almost. Um, uh, and they also wanted to kind of change the world at the end. Yeah. So that there is an awful lot of yeah. So it's basically school reunion with other uh, repackaged. Um, um, you're right. He, he was right though. The the location was lovely. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, I know that. Uh, I, funny enough, I was wondering where it was filmed. Uh, I didn't know it was Croatia, um, but um, it. Um, you know, I fully believed it was Venice, and it, yeah, so it was a, it was a very very good location. Um, I can see why he would say it was largely uh, forgettable because, it, you know, when you consider other episodes within the series, it, Vampires of Venice could be seen as a little bit throwaway. But for some reason, it's always stuck in my head. I've always remembered it. I think probably because of the location and the fact that you know, f- fishy vampires, I, I find it difficult to forget something like that. Um, who can convince you? Got in contact with us and said. Um, these are the reviews of one half of Can I Convince You and are not necessarily our stance as a whole. Actually, it's crap. 
so so not a fan, uh, but succinctly punt. Uh, I do yeah. like that. Um, that's the the Who Can Convince You podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, neither the time nor the space uh, contacted us and said, "My question is." Why is it always aliens? Ghosts, aliens, werewolf, aliens, mummy, aliens, Frankenstein cowboy, aliens, demons, aliens, vampires, monsters. It's never the monster it pretends to be. It's always aliens. Um, and and then you respond and go, mm, wait, I'm sensing a pattern here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it goes into that thing. I, That's the thing, you know, I love, I love historicals, mm. but we just don't get, we just don't get the, why is it, why is it always aliens? <laughs> Yeah, why couldn't it, yeah. Uh, why couldn't it be, like, like it's a scenario where there's a, there's a genuine antagonist, but then uh, that antagonist is just a facade for an alien. It's just, mm-hmm. why? <laughs> just because they have to shoehorn in some, cow, some, some cowboy, why am I saying cowboy, some sci-fi? <laughs> yeah, I mean, why couldn't it just be like straightforward vampires? Or, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I can't argue with that. It's uh, it is sort of right, and it would be quite nice if we actually have you know, uh, like a human threat or yeah, doesn't have. Or the other way, uh, the, the other way around, you know. Oh, it's some aliens, but it turns out just to be some um, humans. Like yeah, <laughs> just some vampires. Yeah, just a, yeah, um, or just an honest to god werewolf. What's the problem with that anyway? Well, great. Uh, thanks for everyone for, for getting in contact. Uh, we do love to hear from you all. So just a quick reminder on our social media. You can get in contact with Twitter, which is what uh, most people do, uh, which is uh, our account is at Podcast Bell. We're also on Instagram at Cloyster underscore Bell. And our website is cloisterbellpodcast, or as one word, dot com. So uh, just a so just to, to wrap up, uh, we'll start with you, Rob. Um, overall, just sort of like a... What are your overall thoughts on the story and what score would you give it? Okay, thoughts. Um, if I was to look at any pros and cons, um, initially um, I wasn't a fan of Rory, but now he's definitely a pro of the story. Great location. The villain's great. I'm not... A hundred percent sold on the whole CGI version of the creature. Um, it it is it is it is good. Um, it's obviously not uh, a practical element, uh, and I'll, possibly some of the um, locked off shots um, that have CG steam or rain coming out or whatever and all these little effects um, or some of the composited shots of the boats on the lake and stuff um, so in the water sorry uh, some of them it, it looks a bit fake uh, mm. I don't know if I'm being a bit critical there um, I don't know um, story wise um, I did like it it was an interesting um, take on the vampires and using the location um, for the kind of the plot twist of them being fish <laughs> uh, and it was an interesting um, motive for the villain here Yeah. Uh, of course uh, 
was was she right or wrong in what she was doing it was a matter of survival um but it was what it was the, the doctor was morally opposed to what she was doing um so she had to be dealt with mm-hmm. um but it's it's an interesting take um usually we we might just have like a bit of a one dimensional villain whose intent is to be bad <laughs> so um in that respect it was good um I started this episode um with a, my mind set on a score um which has gone up a point since um and I'm going for a seven out of ten. Ah, it's good. Nice and respectable. Um yes, I, I agree with you. I think it's um uh we've you know, th- there is the, the comparisons to school reunion which uh you picked up on <laughs> I quickly realised and we've talked about that and uh, uh one of our listeners uh said very much the same thing but nonetheless i i still quite like you know despite those comparisons i still think the vampires of venice is a good story it has its own things going for it um i think of itself it's it's well written as i said particularly that scene uh between rosanna and and the doctor um i agree with you i think some of the special effects shots don't quite work um a a big standout for me is actually once the doctor has um uh, switched off the the device which is changing the climate um changing the climate and and then the sun's come out and he's he's still standing at the top of the tower um you can tell the, the light doesn't quite add up and you can tell that it's a fake backdrop behind him so the one you know some of the well, spe- it's unfortunate because i could probably think of a few earlier episodes from the show um, where things like that are quite seamless. Mm-hmm. So th- th- there are a couple of moments which can take you out of the viewing experience uh, in terms of that, which is a little bit unfortunate. Um, but they don't make up the big bulk of the, the episode, so I can, I can sort of overlook it. Yeah. Um, and we understand it's just a television show, so it's perfectly acceptable. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think for some reason, I think if we were... Uh, reviewing a film i think we would uh, i think we would be, yeah. kick, be kicking the boot in a, a bit more um it you know so i can, uh, I can forgive it for that but i think on the whole uh, i think it's a, it's an interesting enjoyable story um i think it's very well cast i think a big strength of it is the fact that we have you know as i said before helen mccrory i think gives a brilliant performance is very captivating and um gives a really nuanced uh, performance. She's strong and delicate at the same time. You know, really believe it. Alex Price is great in it. One of the things as well is uh, I really like a, a lot of the humour that comes in through the script. And yeah, Rory uh, has really grown on me uh, since the first time that I watched this episode eleven years ago. Um, and I quite like the, the dynamic and. Uh, Arthur Darville's performance and so on so um, I'm probably being a, a bit more uh, generous with the score but nonetheless it's it's still an episode that, that that I enjoy I think it's tremendous fun I will more than happily watch again I've given it 8 out of 10 Fantastic, mm. great score <laughs> Thanks um, So that's our thoughts on The Vampires of Venice, thank you very much for listening um, regardless of what you think of it, as, as, as one of our listeners said, it's crap but I hope you've enjoyed our, our musings on it. Um, so for our next podcast, Rob, what on earth are we doing? Oh, right. Um, 
I don't mean to be a bit of a repeat offender here, but um, I've picked an 11th Doctor story. Uh, I did pick it before you before you announced this one, so um, right. it's fair enough. Um, I've chose a story called The Doctor's Wife. Um, please do give us a review. We'd love to know what you think. We are on a great website called Podchaser, and you can also review us on Apple Podcasts. If you do, of course, we'll be happy to re- re- read your review out on the podcast, good or bad. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we are on social um, facebook.com slash cloisterbell twitter at podcastbell instagram cloister underscore bell we are on youtube um, and all those links are on our fantastic website cloisterbellpodcast.com um, one thing we don't usually mention well we don't think we ever mentioned but we do have a patreon page uh, and one thing me and Liam would like to do is we would like to let the podcast grow a bit. Obviously, it does have monthly costs, but we might look for look to maybe put some expenses towards um, reviewing other things. Like we've mentioned the book club and things like that. But we'd also like to start giving rewards back to um, some of the more faithful listeners as well. Um, so we do have a couple of tiers on patreon now um and one of them you do get a close to bell podcast mug and we'll look into adding more rewards there as well um one thing we haven't really done i know some people do it um to a great deal of success and it's kind of that kind of thing but we don't really go in for the whole um affiliate marketing or advertising Mainly because we don't really have the time for that, but we don't really want to kind of dirty the water of what we do. You know, um, I think if if we started to start promoting things on the website and all that, it would it would take more of our time and it it would dilute the content a bit, and it's not really what we're going for. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I mean, it's just um, in terms of what we're comfortable with. I mean, obviously, no aspersions to any other podcast that do that. You'd, it's just it, it yeah. just it's just down to personal choice. Um, we feel a lot more comfortable just in terms of doing the podcast and just focusing on what we're discussing and uh, and keeping to that. Um, but uh, we know that we do have some some very loyal listeners, and uh, we you know we appreciate that. Um, and as I said, we but we are wanting to to grow the the podcast, and any little yeah. uh, support would be appreciated. So if you would yeah. like to, obviously there's no pressure, but if you would like to to support us uh, via Patreon, we would be extremely grateful. Yes. And that would and that would go back in you know, that would go into the um, into the podcast itself. You know, we wouldn't be accumulating the wealth in the hope of becoming multi-millionaires somehow. Um, no. It would all be going back to, you know, improving sound equipment or helping us, you know, because, you know, um, as we said before, one of the things we're very keen on is, is doing the book club. Um, yes. And it also is giving rewards back. You know, mm-hmm. if, if we if we did have um, some excess funds, we can do some prize giveaways. Um, and also um, pledges can go towards giving like the merchandise stuff away because um, we've got the mugs there and I've so there's options to do prints and stickers and badges and things like that so um, that'll be an interesting thing to do mm-hmm. and uh, that the, the link to Patreon for, for anyone who may be interested that's on our website is that right Rob? yes or you can go to patreon.com slash cloisterbell great excellent 
Great. So uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Um, it's Liam's podcast today, so I'll let, I'll let him say all the goodbyes. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Rob. Uh, yes, uh, thank you very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, as we've said before, please get in contact with us on social media. Uh, we do like listening, uh, hearing from you. And until next week, uh, take care and so long for now. See you out there. Bye. Bye.